Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. Getting you set for game two between the Jets and Oilers. We'll talk to Bob Stoffer, Oilers radio analyst, as well as Murad Atesh, the brilliant writer from The Athletic here in Winnipeg. That's all coming up on the podcast. Now we welcome on to the show Bob Stoffer, who is Chet radio analyst for Oilers broadcasts in Edmonton. Bob, how are you doing tonight? a small world uh the Oilers uh a guy that i knew that's a concussion specialist here in town and he does nhl with him um so he did his postgrad at, at georgia and when the uh when the atlanta thrashers were still in the nhl uh and the i will probably would have been the tooth i think it was the 2009 2010 season he came with us on the trip and we i'm a huge sec football fan so we went on to go watch georgia it was definitely uh it was the year before Cam Newton went to Auburn. So I'm thinking off the top of my head, that was 2009, 2010. And long story short, thank you very much. Long story short, uh, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about how we look at uh, con- concussions differently. He, he dealt mostly with football players at the University of Georgia with the Bulldogs football program. And there used to be a time when, you know, we'd, we'd use terms like strap it, you know, uh, and I'm a lot older than you are, almost double your age, but we used to use terms like stop, you know, strap an aspirin to it and, you know, uh, oh, what a huge. And now when, when something like that happens, you get scared. And I think back to Brian Marchman, who played with the Jets in the late 80s, early 90s with the Oilers in the 97 playoffs against Dallas. He fell backwards into the uh, Dallas bench and their gate opened. And it, uh, it basically smoked his skull on the backside of his head, and he was out cold. And they had to, uh, at that time, I was already doing Fon Court and stats uh, with uh, NHL feeds, and they had to get uh, the tight shot off because his eyes were rolling around. And they were lucky they got the doctor out there as fast as, as they did. So that was a scary incident tonight. We Fortunately, we look at things differently. We don't take any chances. We're not even sure, as an example, why P.L. Uh, Dubois, you know, it looked to me like he took a little bit of an elbow flick in that game against the Leafs, why he didn't play game one. So he was back in a regular jersey today with, an, uh, with some guys out on the ice today. But we take these issues a lot more seriously, and that was indeed a scary, scary situation tonight with Tavares. And I would be very surprised if he returned for the playoffs after at least the first round after taking uh, just a pure fluke incident in terms of that, that sequence of events that led to that head injury. Yeah, very unfortunate there in uh, Toronto. Let's turn our attention now to uh, the Oilers and Jets. Last night, game one, a 4-1 win for Winnipeg. What uh, Was there anything that caught you off guard last night? No, it's playoff hockey. Um, and I'm a guy who uh, you know watched uh, the 1982 Oilers lose to the LA Kings when Edmonton finished like 30 points ahead of them during the regular season. They lost a five-game series to L.A. Uh, I watched the uh, the 06 Oilers, and I was one of the guys in Edmonton that actually said Edmonton uh, you know, was going to beat Detroit. They were all long for them. Detroit was 30 points ahead of Edmonton that season, and the Oilers took them out in six games. Um, you know, there's a reason they play the game. Anything can happen. Winnipeg, this, to me, was the closest series on paper. If you look at all of the numbers, goals for, goals against, power play, PK, those sort of things, the numbers are very close between the two teams. The only thing that wasn't, Christian, was a 7-2 and record for Edmonton during the season, and Edmonton benefited from having a couple of better scheduled games. Uh, the way it worked out, where Winnipeg was playing, you know, their fourth game in six days, and Edmonton was rested. Winnipeg's got a good team. they got a reigning Vesna Trophy winner, Connor Hellebuck. Uh, they've got 
Uh, I, they played a simpler game last night without having Dubois and Ehlers, and uh, and sometimes a, a wounded animal is a is a is a different te- is a difficult team to face. And I thought that uh, the Jets were with those injuries. Uh, they they really stuck to the plan. They got a veteran coach that's been there before. I picked Edmonton. Full disclosure, I picked Edmonton in six. I was not one of these guys that thought the Oilers would if it end in a hurry. And I also said that Edmonton was going to lose one of the first two games of the series at home because the top four Canadian teams have all been better on the road than they have been at home this year. So I'm not surprised. Um, I expect Edmonton to play better tomorrow night, but I also know Winnipeg's capable of playing better. It, it does become a much more important game for Edmonton tomorrow night, but it was a, it was a one-bounce game. It was a 2-1 game with a couple empty netters, and the Oilers didn't quite do enough, and credit to the Jets. That was a strong, intelligent road game They, they, they backstopped by a guy that uh, showed why he won the Vezna last year. So looking ahead to tomorrow night, obviously we don't expect McDavid and Drysaddle to be shut out again in all likelihood. Um, well, not completely shut out. McDavid was in, I believe, on the Pugliarvi goal. But the the reality is the Oilers are looking for a lot from that uh, duo. There was a lot of questioning today in their media availability about, well, if those two are held off the score sheet, can you guys win? And do you think that's a fair question? Absolutely a fair question. And, um, I mean... I had a conversation with uh, a guy that is always in the mix for NHL GM jobs over the last year and a half. And he he said to me three quarters of the year, and he's with a really good team. He's with a team that's better and deeper than Edmonton. And he says, you guys, referring to the Oilers, have overachieved what everybody thought at the start of each of the last two seasons in the regular seasons because you got the top two scores in the league and the best power play by 2% each year. And he's like, you don't get those power play opportunities and teams can focus on shutting guys down. And your lack of depth is going to be, uh, you know, your Achilles, uh, uh, your Achilles heel come playoff time if you don't get support scoring. So absolutely, it's a fair question. The orders are not a finished product. Uh, this is another reason why Winnipeg's completely capable of winning the series. There's nobody with an IQ over 80 that looked at these two teams and thought that, you know, there's, you know, there's like I looked at Tampa and Florida, Christian, and I thought. I don't see Florida winning. They're too loose defensively. You know what I mean? Like, I watched them play. They don't have any structure and process in their game. Winnipeg's got a veteran coach. It's got, and Joel Quenville coaches Florida, but their defense takes chances up the ice all the time, and Tampa Bay was just wrong for them. So, conversely, yeah, Edmonton needs more support scoring. Look who won the game for the Jets last night. Nate Thompson involved in the first and second goal, you know, stripped the puck in the first goal that led to the counter strike, uh, you know, the Wheelers uh, put one, there's four mistakes for Edmonton on that goal. The second goal, Thompson stripped two Oilers in the uh, D zone to create the opportunity for the, uh, uh, you know, the deflection goal. So, uh, the, you know, you need other guys to, to step up and make place. I mean, the most important goal in Oilers history was not scored by Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messi. It was scored by Kevin McClelland in Long Island in game one of 1984 Stanley Cup final. They win there and, you know, get the split in the island and come home and win three straight. So you got to have more support scoring. They didn't have enough. And uh, it's too simple to just sit there and say, well, if McDavid and Drysaddle don't do it, Edmonton's got no chance. Some other guys got to step up to the plate here. Pugliarby did last night. They need more support scoring. Absolutely. Do you feel like the Oilers defensively are solid enough to – not just win a playoff series, but continue to, to build on their success uh, that they had in the regular season and maybe go on a run here. Well, they got to get past the Jets, and that starts tomorrow night. 
Um, I, th- I don't think Winnipeg's defense is any better than Edmonton's. I mean, if I was, I, I will tell you this: the Jets started the year two and one against Edmonton, and Neil Pionk, the the, the the two teams split Winnipeg. Then they played a game back here at Edmonton, and Smith got chased in that game. And uh, Neil Pionk landed some bombs on Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. And Josh Archibald must have challenged Neil Pionk four or five times in the next game and went after him. And you'll recall this, that uh, Archibald uh, did a number on Pionk when Pionk was playing for the Rangers and Archibald was with the uh, Coyotes. And that's the sort of thing Edmonton's going to need to do. There, I, 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 you know, it comes with the territory. Winnipeg was physical, not as physical as the hit suggested last night, but they were more physical in Edmonton. And the Oilers got to land some shots on Morrissey and on Pionk. Those guys are smaller demon, and they're the best two puck movers the Jets have. I think Edmonton's defense, you know, the numbers would suggest this year between what Barry and Nurse did, and those guys weren't very good in the first period last night, uh, that Edmonton's got the better defense. they got to show that if they're going to win this series. So more of what we saw, like Archibald knocking the window to Dylan DeMello last night. You need guys like that. He plays bigger than a size. Like Ryan McLeod got in on a floor check three or four times last night, didn't finish checks. Christian, it's the playoffs. Everybody's got to block shots and everybody's got to hit. That's the commitment level that you need. And, um, you know, that's why Pulley Arby's been such a huge surprise this year because of how he's played. He's played in straight lines. He's competed on pucks. He's knocked guys off of pucks. You know, and he's he's played with a completely different sense of urgency than he was here before when he was waiting for things to happen. So they got themselves a real good top six winger there. We know they got McDavid and Drysaddle. Yamamoto was pushing. Their right side was okay. They didn't get enough juice out of their left side last night. And um, it's going to be very intriguing to see what both teams uh, end up uh, deploying tomorrow night, whether or not the Jets bring Dubois back in the lineup. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in tomorrow. And conversely, whether or not the orders load up McDavid, Drysaddle, and uh, either Pugliarvi or Yamamoto, potentially. I know they had Cahoon with those two guys today, but uh, to, to go head-to-head against uh, you know the Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor line last night, which had multiple opportunities uh, to make some plays off of rushes. There were, Winnipeg did a great job. I mean, Christian, you watched the game. The Jets didn't give up. Did they give up an odd man break the entire game? I don't I recall so. them doing that. That was, that was – they were in a, a – a, a one-one-three for Jack. They always had a guy uh, forward back to make sure that Edmonton couldn't outman him through the neutralized area. And they played a one-bounce game, and they got that bounce. And part of the reason why they got the win is their guardian stopped thirty-two shots. So I'll get you out of here on this, Bob. Do you think there's any merit to the thought that maybe there was a slow start to this game, and the Oilers never really came out of that uh, just because it was the first game in a, I don't know how many weeks that actually mattered for them? Or do you think that second period was more emblematic of the team they can be and they just weren't able to get the finish that they normally might? Oh, I would I would say to you that Edmonton, you know, once Connor McDavid got to his 100th point in the 53rd game, the team shut it down. Like, it was a 4-3 lead heading to the third period against Vancouver that night, and they haven't played the same since until the second period against Winnipeg. They had a good second period against Winnipeg, but they got to get greasier. you got to score ugly goals come playoff time, and everybody's got to be a part of the mix there, which means you got to go to the paint. you got to get your body in front of – you know, you're, you got to get in front of the net. you got to pay the price and get you know that you're going to get cross-checked or slashed in the back of the leg or whatever it takes. And the orders were a bit on the perimeter last night. So I like their second period. Uh, and then the Jets, once they got the 2-1 goal under the flexion, they just completely locked it down. I mean, it looked like the you know the New Jersey Devils at their height, or the Minnesota North Stars, or Minnesota Wild when Jacques Lemaire had some success with that team. I mean, that was a clinic that Winnipeg put on. 
or like the uh, 2002 Carolina Hurricanes, maybe. Is that your team? Well, that's Paul Maurice went to the cup with them. Well, think about this for a second. So Detroit started. Detroit won the cup that year. Ken Holland was the GM. Detroit was down two nothing at home. They they dropped the first two games so Vancouver. to Vancouver. And the fans in Vancouver and some of the writers were suggesting Detroit was too old and beat up to get back in the series. And uh, you know what? Until the final minute of the second period, you know, Vancouver looked like they were still in control. And Kluche gave one up from another time zone, and the whole series switched. And, and then even there for Paul Maurice, I mean, Detroit was down 3-2 to Colorado that year. And uh, then Patrick Waugh. We had the Edmonton to now to talk about the Jets and Oilers series from their perspective. Nugent Bowman so, of The Athletic uh, writes about the Oilers. Hey, quick, his quick, latest work chronicles the evolution of Connor McDavid like, and his all-around game. Everybody, Obviously, Daniel, we're used to all these games without fans. Uh, it sucks. Of the, uh, you know that since uh, you were in the bubble you know, last he, year covering the playoffs. Said from home ice has not really been a factor in the North with all four playoff teams not really showing a big difference between their home and road record. So, do you think that trend will continue in the series? Home ice probably won't be a factor. Way deeper team next season than they have right now. They're going to have about twenty-five million dollars in cap space. They're lacking in middle six forwards that can make. You basically need nine good forwards, four good defensive, and, and a number one goalie. Okay, Smith has played like a number one goalie. He's not Connor Hellebuck. Uh, their defense, I think Edmonton's defense. I mean, they got the highest scoring defenseman in the league this year in Tyson Berry, and they also got Darnell Nurse, who led the league in even strength goals. Darnell Nurse got 15 even strength goals this year. I'm not sure the Jets combined for 15 goals from the back end this year. So they got that's where their offense came from. And if the Jets are going to, you know, if they're not going to call anything, which they didn't last night, that plays to Winnipeg's advantage because the Oilers have a lethal power play. And the last two years, like I said, it's been 2% better than anybody else in the league each year. And so, and I, and I think Winnipeg's tailor-made to have success playing five-on-five hockey against Edmonton. So it's going to be a real tough series. But the Oilers, you know what? The Oilers better win tomorrow night where the series might go quicker than people thought. Bob, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and uh, glad your uh, cell phone connection uh, improved there. It was a great conversation. All right, Christian, anytime, my man. Take care. We now continue to look ahead to tomorrow night, Game 2 of the Oilers and Jets in Edmonton, 8 p.m. Puck drop, 6 p.m. pregame coverage begins. And for more on this, we are joined by Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, uh, you were... How does it feel that playoff hockey is underway finally here in Winnipeg? Yeah, I like the way they use the word finally. We we only had to wait about five days, right, from Friday to Wednesday. But every day of anticipation was just talking about the hockey that might get played, that would get played, that was on the horizon. You know, McDavid's good. We know this. We can talk about that for a few days. More than anything, it was uh, it was just so much fun to see real live Winnipeg Jets hockey played and and talk about that and analyze that last night well and more than just that Murat we've known for or not known for sure but we've figured for a couple months almost that it's going to be Jets and Oilers in round one and then they have the losing streak and there's talk about what is this team actually going to be come playoff time and it didn't really matter what they did in the final couple weeks of the regular season it was always going to be well what does it look like in the playoffs and through one game all the talk we heard from the players and coaches about getting their game right and more of a playoff style, that bore out in game one, did it not? Well, it definitely bore out in terms of the result. I mean, I thought that it was a close, tentative first period. And then as that second period got going, I, you know, 
Edmonton really turned up the speed and started to lean on Winnipeg, but then, uh, you know, showing a bit of mental fortitude that I think that we were all unsure about because of the slump, because of how the season ended, what would Winnipeg be like going down one nothing against the flow of play? Well, then you have Tucker Pullman driving the net, getting his first goal of 2021. Good play from Blake Wheeler to read the play in front of him and get the puck into a dangerous spot. And then Dominic Toninato, unsung hero, playing his, uh, I guess, third Jets game, first of the playoffs, had played three for the Manitoba Moose as well. And I'm not sure that that's the player that a lot of people had uh, scoring the game-winning goal. So for me, they get the result, and more importantly, because you're right, we talked about it all, you know, all last month, right? This team was falling apart, or, or they had such and such a record against the Edmonton Oilers. I think it was really important for confidence and for vision and for belief for these guys to get a result uh, even if they were saying all of the right things, I think getting that win is going to be very meaningful for them when the series gets harder as it goes on. So we've known also through a lot of the season that the Jets are not an analytical darling of the NHL. And even last night, uh, according to HockeyViz.com, Edmonton had 3.1 expected goals and the Jets had 1.3. Oftentimes they are on the uh, shorter side of that scale, but they get a 4-1 win. So that begs the question, the way they played last night, is that a sustainable way to win this series? I think it still needs to get better yet, because if you look, you're not going to stop Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl from getting on the score sheet uh, every night. If you go toe-to-toe, Connor McDavid uh, had twice as many shot attempts uh, for him uh, as against him when he was on the ice against you know Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Josh Morrissey, etc., so in that sort of head-to-head matchup, yes, Winnipeg got the goal, uh, Tucker Pullman finishing off a play from Blake Wheeler. But if you looked at the territory, certainly uh, Edmonton Stars did get their looks. I think that the, the looks weren't quite as dangerous as during the regular season. Winnipeg did a good job defending off the rush, but there were still moments, right? There were still issues with breakouts. There were still counterattacks. Jesse Puglia-Yarvi had a particularly great chance after a Winnipeg zone exit was stuffed. Um, especially in the second period, a few zone exit issues from Derek Forbert, Mark Seifley in particular come to mind that led to lots of zone time. So these are things that if you continue to do against the Edmonton Oilers, especially when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle are on the ice, you will get punished for it. There will be goals. That said, you, you have to credit them as well because they played well enough and a step forward, I would say, from the end of the regular season, such that a good night from Connor Hellebuck was able to seal the deal in the end. Tucker Pullman getting up in the play is not something that we've seen a lot of this season. Do you think it's critical for the Jets to maybe do a little bit more of that defense activating to try to get the offense going? Well, I absolutely do. I think one of the reasons why at times with the Jets, you see so much chip and chase, just give the puck up uh, at the offensive blue line without too much in the way of a, a chance to win it back or worse, Sometimes you saw them force plays at the offensive blue line, and that's what led in part to some of those regular season games where Dreisaitl and McDavid tore them apart. One way to make sure that that doesn't happen is to add a defenseman to that rush, another layer. You used to see it from Dustin Bufflin all the time charging up the right wing wall. Then it would suddenly be a four-on-three or a four-on-two at the offensive blue line, and you'd be able to create that entry into the zone with possession of the puck, with options, and be able to create a dangerous situation out of that. Now, obviously, there's no Dustin Bufflin on this team, and Tucker Pullman, for him, strength a strength part of me is absolutely that speed, and he has the willingness to jump into the rush, uh, I, I honestly, I think that he 
amongst the Jets. Perhaps Neil Pionk would be another one to consider, but Pullman is one of the most frequent rushers. It's just this is the first time where he was able to go all the way, get a shot from right in front of the net at the end of it all, and it paid off. Um, so I'm not sure that Tucker Pullman is going to score a whole lot more goals on a play that looks like that, but it does give Winnipeg a whole lot more options. You saw it from Logan Stanley as well. Uh, you know, it's a good look when it happens and it turns into good situations. The question, I guess, is what are you losing defensively by a defenseman joining the rush because this team has been so focused on defense, and that's why one of the reasons their defensemen have contributed so little offensively this year. Yeah, and it's the ultimate question, right? Andrew Kopp talked earlier this week about the risk and reward profile and how it changes depending on who's on the ice. And I would suggest that if Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are on the ice at the same time, then if there's going to be a rushing defenseman, those decisions have to be made with such precision and intelligence. And, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks, because they're going to need to be able to read, well, is this actually going to turn into something good or is there a risk element here? Because turning the puck over against, uh, you know, a, a third or fourth line player on the Edmonton Oilers versus those two players is, is an entirely different story. So, like, I, to your point, I think for me, there is definitely, they, they always need to be reading to see what's in front of them and, and making those decisions, which also means that when things go wrong, you're going to need to see forwards get on their horse uh, to, to get back as well. And, and maybe there are, maybe at the end of that argument, maybe there's a case to, to read. And if 97 or 29 are on the ice, then there's one set of rushing rules. And maybe when they're not, there's an entirely different one. Looking at the lineup tomorrow night, Marat, we don't know if Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers will be in there. It's the playoffs. The coaches won't, won't tell you anything, but that's to be expected. Paul Maurice did say today it's possible they could play Dubois wearing the non, or I guess the normal jersey and Ehlers with the non-contact, though Maurice also said that maybe don't pay too close attention to that when it's not a full practice. I'm rambling. Anyway, point is, should we expect Dubois to be in the lineup? And if so, he slides in for Veselainen. How does that change how they look on the ice? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that, you know, there's still a bit of caution in terms of reading too much into it with jersey colors and an optional skate. You know, a lot of the optional skates don't get particularly physical in the first place. So the, the importance of that gold jersey is a little bit lessened. That said, um, if if this is a step forward for Pierre-Luc Dubois, I agree with you. That second line becomes Kopp, Stastny, and Dubois. I think Christian Vestalainen comes out of the lineup, if that's the case. And then Dominic Toninato keeps his fourth-line job. And I think that we we can think to that for a couple of reasons. One, Vestalainen, more of a skilled player than a, than a grinder, so to speak. And, and Paul Murray certainly likes to use skilled players in the top six, more grinding players in the bottom six. It's that sort of philosophy. And then also... We've heard him talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois being used as a winger uh, before his injury against Toronto last Friday. Uh, in the days leading up to that, the mission was clearly to get Pierre-Luc Dubois going on the wing. And I think right wing is a good spot for him. Uh, I know that based on his size and based on what it can look like when he does throw his weight around, uh, folks are looking for him to sort of start trucking people, throwing body um, and really being a physical juggernaut to, to find a word. Um, but his biggest strengths to me are straight line speed and playmaking. And uh, in Columbus, that was one of his most dangerous looks. Wherever he lined up on the ice, he'd end up curling up the right wing wall and finding passes into the middle of the ice with speed that defenders weren't ready for. So for me, if you're trying to look to get this guy going because he hasn't been particularly productive as a Jet, then put him in a situation where he's going to get a lot of those looks and, and stick to what he knows as best as he can. 
In terms of depth scoring, obviously none of us predicted Toninato and Pullman to be the goal scorers, but we see in the playoffs just moments ago, Ryan Lomberg scoring a winner for Florida in overtime. Brandon Tanev just scored a goal to put Pittsburgh up 5-4 late in their game with the Islanders. These depth players are huge contributors when it comes to the playoffs. Toninato, I mean, I, I'll i be honest, we kind of probably forgot about him because he was out for most of the year and never played with the Jets until this month. Is this kind of a, a bit of an X factor, perhaps, on this fourth line that none of us saw coming, or, or am I reading it too much into him scoring the winner last night? <laughs> well, I think it's it, more than anything, for me anyway, it's fun. I mean, we can talk until we're blue in the face about McDavid and Shifley and all of that sort of stuff and how the teams line up. But we play the games and we watch the playoffs and we, we, we're so fascinated by them because anything can happen. And Dominic Toninato is a hardworking player. Yes, I too forgot about him a little bit as his COVID-shortened season sort of kept him away from the lineup, just got into a couple of Moose games and a couple of Jets games, and, and then here we go. But I think really important for the Jets is that their fourth line doesn't hurt them. There have been times over the last couple of seasons where it's been a weakness. Now Thompson and Lewis offer a certain amount of stability on there. Certainly they're not dominant players, but you can play them without tremendous fear. Dominic Toninato, I like his energy level. I liked uh, his defensive decisions in the regular season at the very tail end. Clearly he had the assist setting up Mason Appleton and now made a terrific play to set up his own goal, beat Ethan Bear behind the net with a great kick pass to Nate Thompson, then goes to the net and makes that deflection. And so Winnipeg's depth, I guess, where I'm ending with this or landing, it's doing more than not hurting them. If you've got Toninato scoring goals like that and, and turning games, boom, one nothing. series is, a, is advantage Winnipeg. Now let the Stars go to work. Last question for you. How different do you expect tomorrow night's game could be, to be compared to last night? Well, I think it'll look a little bit more like the second and third periods than the first. I, I really do think there was a feeling each other out sort of process where for Winnipeg, I think there's a philosophical difference almost or or something they need to figure out, which is how aggressive are we? How much do the Jets stick to their own game and and just trust in their offensive players to to go and and be dangerous versus how much do they um, play conservatively and wait and make sure that they don't get out of position against McDavid and Dreisaitl, who we keep talking about because they are that dangerous. And I think that just setting that dial of confidence in Winnipeg's own game, I think, will go up as as the series continues, especially if they're able to continue to limit those rush chances and continue to keep them off the score sheet for a little bit longer. So I think we'll get a little bit straight to business, straight to that second, third period uh, chance rate that we saw uh, last night. Thanks, Murat, for your time as always. And uh, I know you're about to do a, a sign-off where you say you appreciate my time. You tweeted about this today, and you <laughs> always sound so earnest, but you feel like you're a kid because you're, you're just too nice, I guess, with your sign-offs. Well, I just I think of like being in elementary school. And you go over to a friend's house, and then at the end, you know, their parents say goodbye. They walk you to the door, and you're like, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming, like that whole exchange. And so every radio visit I have with you guys, you know, at the end, all I can think to say is, Thank you for having me. And I mean it, but it reminds me of being eight years old. Well, it's better than just saying bye. I guess there is that. There is some decorum. I respect and appreciate your time, Christian. I thank you for having me on. It's a, <laughs> it is a pleasure. I do mean it. I absolutely do. I mean it too, Murat. Thanks, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Right on. <laughs> That's Murat Atesh from The Athletic, who joins us regularly here on CJOB. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.